week two of our rebranding series. Man, I had my eyes closed during prayer, and now they're like readjusting. Give me a minute. All right, I think I'm good. So we're in week two of rebranding, and so I want to start by just sharing a story. So yesterday, last night, uh, Aaron and I were able to get our first date night since we've moved to Goshen. Uh, and so we were really excited. Uh, we were going to go to the Oasis for dinner, except we didn't realize it was closed on Saturdays, which seemed like a weird thing for a business to do. Uh, but we were out and about. So we ended up at, uh, oh man, what was that Mexican place we went to? Los Primos, right? Like Goshen's version of Chipotle, right? Yeah. So, so we went to dinner and then we decided uh, we were going to go over to Honey's and get some ice cream. And uh, so we're sitting in Honey's, we're eating our ice cream, and there's a group of people in the uh, room with us, uh, this, this group of four, who were chatting. And I could tell they were Christians because they were saying a lot of God and Bible study and using all the keywords, right? All the words you listen for when you're trying to find out if somebody knows Jesus. So they're using all these words. They're talking about how great this one person they knew was who was grown in their faith and, and, uh, and how excited they were that they were plugged into the Bible study. And, and in my head, I'm going, yeah, all right, Jesus is doing stuff, right? But then the conversation shifted into uh, all about uh, the LGBT agenda. That was the conversation after that, right? And that was followed up, and it was all about how uh, horrible these people were and how they don't want the best for our country and they don't want the best for the church. And I just, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, those seems like two very different conversations to follow each other up, right? Because one was all about what our church should, should be about. It's, it's people growing in their faith. And, and then the next, very next conversation was, who can we bash next? And it really disturbed me a little bit. And especially in light of the fact that I knew today was coming up, which is what are we for? Because the church is always against things, right? I don't know what it is about it, but we always find the things that we're against, right? And most people outside the church, that's what they know us for. They know us based on what we're against, right? People know that the church is generally against abortion. The church is generally against homosexuality. We're often against other faiths like Islam. We're against things like smoking and drugs, right? There are things we're against, now, I'm not saying or arguing this morning that there aren't things that God does not like. What I'm saying is this. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that he comes to bring life, right? There's a positive aspect of the gospel. We call the gospel good news, after all. But the church sometimes feels a little bit more like how he describes the enemy in John chapter 10, which is that he comes to steal and kill and destroy, the way that we have conversations and the way that we present ourselves, the way we approach people either has life or death written into it. And often for the church, we come across as like the fun suckers, right? Because we're always picketing something and we're always condemning somebody. <laughs> and yet we come to church on Sunday and we preach good news. <laughs> and then we wonder, we wonder why, well, why would people outside the church call us hypocrites, <laughs> right? Maybe it's because we spend all of our time outside of church condemning people and all of our, side, all of our time inside of church talking about good news. They don't add up. They don't compute. So welcome to week two of rebranding. We're going to complete the story of good news this morning. And so the story of good news for me happens in, the, in John chapter 3. Right? So if you're, in your, if you're in Scripture, John chapter 3, it's a story of Nicodemus. All right? Nicodemus is a man of the law. 
He knows the rules, right? He knows the things that God is against. <laughs> and yet, despite having followed the rules, there was something about Jesus. There was something about the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, that made him feel like he was missing something. And so he comes to Jesus, and he, he essentially just sits at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> and he says, what do I do? Jesus says, you should be born again. Okay, there's a, there's a rebirth, right? There's a new life. It's what we're all about, new life. It's the thing we're for. But Nicodemus is confused, and so Jesus explains to him what it means to be born again. And in his explanation, most of us have memorized the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. But I want to focus today on the two verses before it and the verse after it. Because John 3.14 and 15 reads like this. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now this feels a little bit out of place, right? Because most of us don't know this story from the book of Numbers. And so he talks about Moses lifting up a snake, and most of us are going, wait a minute, I did not think this was a snake handling church, right? <laughs> so what does snakes and Moses have to do with what the church is about. Well, I want you to put your finger, if you're in your physical Bibles this morning, put your finger in John 3, and I want you to flip back to Numbers 21, okay? Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, because this is the story that Jesus is quoting. So, this is what it says. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Remind you of our last series? <laughs> so the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. Oh. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. All right, so let me summarize this story for you. So the Israelites are doing what they do best, which is complaining, right? This, there's no water. There's no bread. The food that God's giving us is terrible. We hate it here. Let us go back, right? And so God, as, as a punishment, I mean, let's not beat around the bush here, right? There's a consequence to their grumbling. The consequence here is that God sends venomous snakes, and the venomous snakes start killing the Israelites. Now, suddenly, they're paying attention. <laughs> and so the Israelites, they, they, say, they go to Moses, and they say, Moses, Cry out to God for us. We are in trouble. And so Moses does. He cries out to God. And then, he, and then he obeys God. Because what God tells him to do, he says, build yourself a snake. And he says he makes it out of bronze. And he puts it up on a pole, right? Really high where people can see it. And anytime somebody gets bit by a snake, they can look to the bronze snake that's up in the air and be healed. Right? They, they have to look up. And I find it interesting in this story, right? The snakes were the consequence of their grumbling, right? Those were their bad decisions. This is where most of us stop in our presentation of the gospel, right? 
You're all sinners. Your choices are sending you to hell. Sinner, 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 right? This is where we typically stop. We look at where people have erred and the story is done, right? We make a judgment call. They've sinned. They deserve what they're getting. But this isn't where the God stops the story, right? The story goes on. He crafts a snake, places it on a pole. Whoever looks at it gets what? Salvation, right? There's this heavenly antidote to this venom. He didn't remove the snakes. I thought that was interesting when I read this story, right? When they prayed, I'm sure as the Israelites, because this is what I always want, right? When there are venomous snakes around, I'm praying that God takes them away. But that's not what God does. Instead, he says, look, you're going to live with these consequences, but there's a great heavenly antidote if you'll just look up. Right? Salvation was available. The consequences were still there, but salvation was available. This is good news for the Israelites. Good news. Because the story didn't end with snakes. The story ended with life. Right? This is the corner the church has got to turn. <laughs> okay, this is the corner. Because when you return to John, you find an immediate similarity right? Jesus has to be lifted up like a snake on a pole, or in Jesus' case, a sinner on a cross, right? Jesus is lifted up, and all who look to him, it says in John 3, 16, all who look to him, whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel, right? The gospel doesn't end with, I'm a sinner. The gospel story ends with, I'm a sinner who's been saved, and we have to make that turn, <laughs> Right? When we look at people, it's the reason that I refer to anybody who isn't in the church already, anybody who isn't a Christian, I refer to them as a pre-Christian. Okay? Because as far as I'm concerned, if they will know me long enough and they will give me a chance, they will be a Christian eventually. Right? Because God brings life. God brings life. This is the gospel. This is what the church is for. What are we for? We're for life. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then in 317, which may be my even more favorite than 16, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I believe that Jesus chose his words carefully. Okay? I don't think that Jesus just threw words out. I think he chose each of them carefully. And it doesn't say, in John 3, 16, it doesn't say that whoever doesn't believe should perish forever in their sin. It says whoever does believe will not perish, but have eternal life, right? The point here is that Jesus is for people, right? He's not against people. He's for people. The lifestyles that we live pull us away by our own choices, yes, but the end goal is always life and life to the full, as he says in John 10. Jesus came to save. So when you read the Gospels, you find that there is only life-giving language to those who need it, right? You won't find Jesus condemning people in the Gospels. In fact, the only foul words Jesus speaks in the Gospel are about people who are too religious. It's the only ones. When it comes to sinners, it's always positive. It's always that he is for them, right? In, in Matthew 4, 17, when Jesus starts to preach, it says he preached to repent, right? His message was repent. It's the very first word. But why? 
Why should we repent? He says, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? Repent because God is near. Repent because God is available. Repent because God is living in your neighborhood now. He doesn't say, repent because you're going to perish. He says, repent because life has come near. There is better for you when you repent. Right? This is good news. <laughs> good news. <laughs> And so we, as the church, we've got to start completing this story, <laughs> right? Because we are known much better by what we are against. We're known much more for what we're against. And we're barely known at all for what we're for. What things are the church for? We're for life. We're for health. We're for healthy families and healthy marriages and healthy communities and healthy businesses, right? We're for life. That's why we exist. We exist because Jesus wants to see life to the full in each of us and in each of our neighbors and in each of our communities. This is the thing we're for. We're for life, right? God is for us. He sent his son because he is for us. He died on a cross because he's for us. And even the cross, even the cross didn't end with bad news, right? Even the cross ended with what? Resurrection. Good news. God is for life. And the only things that we should be against as a church are the things that prevent life to the fullest in our neighbors, right? We can't keep pounding away on the things that we're against, without getting to the root of our message, which is that those things prevent the life that Jesus wants for us. That's the root of it, that there's something better. Because God is for us. He's for you. He's for them, right? Because that was a language those people were using at the table. Those people, right? God is for them too. So the church should be known for what it's for, right? We're for life to the full, for eternal life. He says, for God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world that he offered his own body to be broken. For God so loved the world that he shed his own blood. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You don't do that if you're against people. Right? If God were against us, why would he do that? It's because he's not. He's not against us. Right? And many of us have grown up with that picture of God. Right? We grew up thinking, if I misstep one spot, I'm out of the circle. <laughs> right? if, I, if I do this one thing, God's never going to forgive me. It's, it's, we grew up with a God who is angry and almost vindictive. Right? If I step out of line once, I'm toast. <laughs> And we grew up fearing for our salvation. But the Bible says that God is for us. God is for life. God's not out to get us. He's out to take us to the next place. For God so loved the world. So we're going to sing, we're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion together. And I want you to remember Okay, as you take the body and blood of Jesus, I want you to remember that Jesus is for you, right? That's what this is for, right? It's for you. 
Because God wants life, an eternal life, eternal relationship with you, right? God is for us. We in this place, right, your, your church family, the church body here, okay, we are for you. The things that we do, the things that we say are to help you find the life of Jesus. That's it, right? Remember last week? Upward, inward, outward, right? That's where we're trying to take you. We're trying to help you get upward by going inward. So I know, I know where to find life to the fullest, in the hands of Jesus. And if you're present today and you've never realized until now that God is for you, right? That this is the first time in your life that you're like, man, that makes sense. Jesus is for me. Jesus wants life. Jesus wants me to succeed. He wants the great stuff, right? And this is not prosperity gospel stuff, right? Do I think Jesus needs you to have a jet? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I do think Jesus wants you to have life, life to the full. You know, I know he said he did. So if this is the first time that you are realizing that, as you take your bread and your juice this morning, I want you to just pray a simple prayer and commit your life to the one who gives full life, the one who is for you. Come and find life this morning as we sing and as we take communion. Let me pray. God, we know and believe that you are for us. That you wouldn't have done the things that you did through Jesus if you weren't for us. We know that you desire to be in relationship with us. We believe, God, that you have life to the fullest offered to us each day. So we come as your people and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be for our neighbors that you would help us to put aside all of our constant being against people and just be for them. God, to support them and raise them up, to bring them closer to you. And Lord, as we take this communion, God, the body and blood of Jesus, we pray that you would help us to remember why he did it, that Jesus offered his body and his blood for us because he is for us. So God, help us to put aside our sins. Help us to put aside ourselves this morning to worship you as we take communion and as we sing. God, draw us close today and help us to feel your love, your eternal life that you offer us, God. Release us today to live into that life in Jesus' name. Amen.